You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Spratling, who's a little under the weather this week. I know you don't want to admit it, but you what? are I don't know a little bit. So we'll keep this on the shorter side to rest your voice. We'll see. Well, yeah, that's, a big, that's a big if. You're still going to go strong, <laughs> heart of the paint. As a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who did that. We'll get to those at the end of the show. We have a good show for you today, talking about Arizona. Arizona and previewing Colorado. I guess first up, Shotgun, what are your overall thoughts from USC's 41 to 14 blowout of the Wildcats? Honestly, I was pretty hungry after the game. You know, I didn't get much food in the pregame, and then it turns into a pastry game. You know, there's a lot of turnovers. You're playing a cupcake. You know, I'm just over there like, I just need something to eat over here. Well USC was eating on the sideline, though. You know, the, the turnover sword. With the multiple footballs, you know, that looked much better than the turnover sword by itself. You were very excited about this. This is a preview to hurt it on the sideline. <laughs> Once you noticed that there were multiple footballs, you were like hitting me. You're like, look, look, the footballs, the footballs. I was like, yes, I see it. I get it. There's an addition to the to the turnover sword. It's a great addition there. I mean, it's still no turnover uh, traveler, you know, no mini pony on the sideline. Mini pony, mini pony, <laughs> yes. Chris Trevino has brought the idea up and we want it to happen. Yeah, we're we going to happen. We'll promote it. The pony propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need some pony propaganda out there. You know, everyone should uh, should be tweeting with Turnover Traveler. Uh, sure. You know, out there so people know that they need to get it out with a with a gif of uh, with a little mini pony prancing around. Of course, yes. But anyway, <laughs> any other takeaways from USC's game? And they, they took care of business in this game. Like I said, you know, Arizona was pretty much a cupcake opponent. Especially they've kind of neutered Khalil Tate. You know, they've taken away what he does special. And part of it is that teams have adjusted to his ability to get outside the pocket and have tried to attack him in certain ways. But they just the, the play calling just didn't seem to favor what he does so well. And, you know, the fact that it was kind of a pattern, you know, Arizona would fall behind the USC and he would lead them back in the second half and they didn't give him that opportunity. They brought in the freshman Grant Gunnell and Gunnell did okay. You know, his first pass was an interception. You know, he avoided some sacks that Khalil Tate did not just because he's bigger, uh, you know, a taller guy and was able to just get, throw the ball away when, when they were, when he was being hit because USC's defensive uh, front was able to get the quarterback a lot because their offensive line was not very good. They did not communicate well. There was a lot of free runners that came. Um, so USC, you know, kept the blitzes on. Clancy Pendergrass kept the pressure on the quarterbacks, and it really worked out. It was a great defensive game plan. And the offense, there was – really struggled to begin with for USC but they finally made some adjustments and started picking up some big gains and especially late in the game obviously seeing seeing Keenan Kristen come in with the the speed the burner get to see it in action for the first time was fun you know you get to see what what was being talked about leading into the season you know and hearing about the numbers he's putting up on the track and stuff you see it on the football field and it's track speed and it's legit too yeah, without a doubt. We'll get into that in a little bit. I just want to ask you this before we get fully into it. Over on Reina Troy, Michael Castillo had kind of uh, had a nod to, you know how we say the Stanford false positive. He had kind of added to it, and he said this defensive performance was essentially an Arizona false positive. I think some people came out of this game being like, wow, the defense has figured it out. Maybe they're playing faster. Maybe it's better if you have if you make these adjustments. But his argument was that 
Arizona's just not that good. And that's why USC played well. Where do you stand on what you take away from this defensive performance? No, I think it's a pastry game. I, I think that it's not something that you look at and go, this is, you know, this is a game changer. You know, this Meaning is it is changer. the false positive. Yeah, it's it's a, like I said, their offensive line did not communicate at all. The number of free runners, you, it's hard for any quarterback to find success. Now, they had a little bit of success running the ball. But JJ Taylor is not a guy that scares me ever. You know, he's a guy that that is quick, but you can hit him and knock him down immediately. So, you know, I, I thought that they took care of business, but I didn't think it was something that you point at and go, "Look what we did this week," you know, type of thing. Okay, interesting. Well, then let's just move into stock up. Who do you got? Well, you got to start with uh, you know with Keenan Kristen, and I'm sure you got him on your list as too. As I well, did. Yes, I did. To go from being forgotten about the fifth string guy, and you know he. Graham Harrell's talked kindly about him the last couple of weeks leading up to it. I did say Graham Harrell had the, the light in his eye the same way he did about <laughs> Keenan Slovis. I said that last week, and I think it proved to pay out there. A little twinkle in the eye there. Um, but it took two running backs getting hurt, a third one, Quincy Junty fumbling the ball in his first carry, for him to get his opportunity to go in there. And he made the most of it. He did. Uh, and I don't want to get too high on him. I know a lot of people are. You know, there's Reggie Bush comparisons. They're like, oh my God, this this speed is you know something we've never seen before. Let's also pull it back just a little bit. Pump the brakes. Because he wasn't touched on either of the touchdown runs. Now, part of the reason why he wasn't touched was because of you know the speed and being able to break the angles of the safeties and the, and the the defensive backs there. But him getting through to the second level and to the third level, that was the offensive line and the blocking up front. He didn't have to break any tackles on those long runs. So let's pull it back just a little bit. You know, we still be excited about it, but we don't have to, you know, go ahead and name him the next coming of, you know, of a Heisman Trophy winning running back immediately. Uh, so, you know, I think he's still got a lot of things to show in his game. And, and this is similar to what I thought we would see when Marquis Step. You know, I, I, we said this last week where, you know, if he got in, then his role might be similar to Steps where it slowly would increase. You know, he would pick up more and more responsibilities. Now he's going to just be thrown into it because yep. – both Stephen Carr and Marquis Step are expected to be out this week. You know, Step is definitely out. Carr is expected to be out, um, so he's going to have to carry the load a little bit more. Quincy Gentry is going to have to bounce back from his fumble and you know and come back and be ready. And, and Dominic Davis may have to step up. So you know, we'll see how they how those guys take care of it because they haven't been put in this situation where okay, we need you to do more than just run the ball because none of those guys have had to do that in their career. Not you don't. You're not asked to pass block a ton in high school, especially when you're really good running back. You're not asked to catch the ball in the backfield all the time. So there's going to be steps in their game. So let's see how they do. And now that a team is preparing for you, you know it's it's easy to beat somebody once when no one has any tape on you. But then once someone does have tape, how does it, how does it change? How do they adjust their game plan specifically for you when they know you're going to be there? Those type things we'll still have to see with Keenan Kristen. But hey, it was fun to watch, definitely without a doubt. Yeah, and. The interesting thing is that Graham Harrell was saying that usually with speedy guys, fast guys, they're not very physical. They're not willing to be physical in pass protection. He said that he's seen from Keenan since fall that he's willing to be physical. And I talked to Keenan about, like, how do you feel with your pass protection? He said, I feel comfortable. He said that he wants to get stronger, no doubt. And that's what Mike Jinks said, that Keenan wouldn't be able to last a full season 
just at the weight that he the weight and size that he's at right now but he said we can make do where with the games we have left with him which is interesting but uh, that's the big question is can he be an every down back because they kind of need him to be and jinx was talking about how it's going to be a three back rotation it's not just going to be quincy and keenan it's going to be dom as well and the funny thing is that jinx was like you'll see 27 play on saturday which is just such a it sounds like if you didn't know what he was talking about it'd be like "Ooh, is that their star guy and it's like no it's former walk on quincy junti so it's just interesting you hate injuries to happen but it's also just a weird twist of like how is this gonna go and going back to his pass protection he's listed at 510 185 you know most of the backs that have been in that air raid system with graham harrell with uh, mike jinx with cliff kingsbury previously are guys around 200 pounds so can they get him up to that level because he's jacked right now and he said he's 180 right now 181. Okay, so he's probably lost some weight during the season. Uh, that's a normal thing, especially for freshmen. So can he add that weight and you know sustain it? But it's not you know the, the willingness to be physical is great, but it's you know Marquis Step is willing to be physical. But it, was he ready to be a pass blocker initially? No. You yeah. know those things. You know it, willingness is a, is a huge part of pass blocking for running backs. But now it's the technique. Mm-hmm. It's identifying the blitzer, knowing which way to turn your head, which way to find things. Those are things we still got to see with Keenan. And hey. Against Colorado, you know, I think there's going to be some opportunities for that speed to show once again, you know, and he's got to make the most of it and, you know, turn the Jets on, blow through the first or second line of defense, and then get in the secondary and see if they can tackle him out there. Especially because the secondary guys are usually a lot smaller than those the front seven guys. So true. you have a much better chance of breaking a tackle back there. Very true. I know you hate hypotheticals, but say hypothetically oh, speaking, the pass protection is just not there. Pass blocking is not there for USC's running backs come Friday. How do you evolve your game plan? Do you just go to short, quick routes and try and get that going there? Against Colorado, I think it's pretty simple. You you go five wide. You know, Make them defend you, you know, in the secondary their secondary has been terrible they don't tackle very well in the secondary washington state had 200 i think 32 yards after catch last week um so i think you just you know you put the onus on the defense to make adjustment there if you want to bring blitzes we'll do quick stuff there uh and you actually put receivers out there instead of the running backs and the tight ends the other thing you can do is you bring in the h back you know you can go two tight ends to give a little bit more protection there's some things you can do you know if if the running back's not capable of doing it you know and you may just go away from having the running back back there if you know that they're not capable of doing that now a lot of times USC's running backs don't stay in to block a ton in this offense. A lot of times they're that swing, they're that check down on the side. Um, so it, it's not something that you have to do every single down, but something you can just kind of add some stuff in. It's like, well, we're not we're going to go away from having that guy in there block, but so we'll use two tight ends uh, and just keep him as a swing pattern or something like that. You can do some different things to to kind of help protect that. Now going forward, it'll be a little bit different because you got Oregon coming up after that, yep. and they will try to exploit any weaknesses you have in that type of of situation. Yeah. So in that sense, the Colorado game is kind of survive in advance with all the injuries that they have. Just it's a good point. Yeah, you, you're trying to get through it. Get that first road win. That's the that's the Big most important thing. thing. Yeah. And obviously, Colorado has not been playing great. You know, Stephen Montez has not been playing great. There are de- uh, areas of deficiency that, that USC can attack. They need to be able to do that. And if they can get a lead early, you know, it takes a lot of the pressure off. You yep. know, it takes the pressure off Keaton Slovis. It takes yep. the pressure off Keenan Kristen, off Quincy Junty. All these guys are kind of inexperienced. You know, remember Keaton Slovis. This is going to be his third start on the road. He's zero two. You know he's he's got some pressure on his shoulders as well in, in this situation as well. So I, I think that you want to be able to try to get that early lead and kind of be able to relax guys to an extent, and especially then you know you can force 
Colorado to do some things you want them to do rather than them being able to kind of dictate because they want to run the ball early and they want to run the ball and be able to kind of control the clock under Mel Tucker. He's a defensive guy. That's the strategy he wants to, to employ. So you can take that away from them if you can get out early. Yep, without a doubt. Now for my stock up, I think it's another guy that we both have on stock up, Kanai Malga. Stock down for my pronunciation of his name because I think I get it wrong every time. Uh, <laughs> Kanai? Kanai? Kanai. Someone told me it was Kanai. Kanai. See, the, the problem with, with his name is that he will allow you to pronounce it however you want. Remember, we, had, we asked him the initial time. We say time. this on every podcast, but yes. I know, but it should be pointed out that if we get this one wrong, it's partly because he won't tell us the correct way to say it. Someone on the Parastyle said, he won't tell you how to say it because he's nice to you non-islanders. And I was like, I guess so. Because I've heard his last name should be Manga as well. You know, that was originally what they said. Instead, it was Mauga. Uh, so, you know, there's different ways to pronounce it. And if the person whose name it is being pronounced will not tell you exactly what it is then it's hard to to make it but i had him on my stock up i'm sure you did (laughs) as well 13 tackles one interception and one forced fumble a heck of a debut for his first start as a trojan Um, i got to talk to him this week about i was like how do you top this and he was like you just keep building on there's always things that you can improve on and the interesting thing is I think his preparation this whole season really fueled his performance. Now, granted, we talked about how bad Arizona is as an offense, but I, cause I was asking, you know, being back there with John Houston, was that a little weird? Did you have to take time to get communication and playing with him? And he was like, well, we're always in the lab. They call it the lab. We're always in the lab together. Me, John Houston, Johnny Nansen. And when you talk to his teammates as well, they always mention how hard he works both on and off the field. And he was saying that his preparation, everyone says it like, oh, I prep like I'm a starter, even though I'm not. But I think he, he kind of meant it because he was saying like he was talking to John Houston every game before every game, looking at film, talking about, OK, what would I call here? What would I do there? And so he said that when he actually did get his number called, it was easier to fill in in that sense because he was prepping like a starter. So for him to prep with that type of mindset, I think really paid off on Saturday. And I, I think if you're behind a guy like Palie, you know, who's, you know, violent player, you know, and reckless player at times, you know, with the way he hits people and stuff that you, you got to be ready because those can, you know, when you hit guys really, really hard, you can injure yourself at the same time. You True. saw that last year against Colorado when he and LaVisca Chenault both collided and both of them were out for the game. But you never know if you're going to hit a shoulder or something and you know be, need some time out of a game just to be checked on, if not longer. So you know, you got to prepare. The guy behind him should be preparing pretty hard. But let's not forget he also had two and a half tackles for loss. True. He had a sack in the game. He, was, he just stuffed the stat sheet. He was all over the place. I mean, the interception came right to him, so you, you, you get lucky with that one. He just throws the ball. I don't know, like five stories high, uh, just chucks it in the middle of the field. Like someone told me, uh, it was Taylor Mays. Yeah, Taylor said it, it on the like, show, on the live show. He was like, "It looked like we were playing basketball. Like Villanova just won the championship." <laughs> Throwing it to the rafters, trying to put it up on top of the jumbotron. I thought that was a great analogy, but yeah. it was just. And Clay Helton was so mad yeah. initially. I'm sure he was happy about the turnover, sure. but then he was also probably mad a couple plays later when USC had to settle for a field goal. You know, because they came up short. True. That's Good why point. you don't chuck the ball. You go to the sidelines, celebrate with a turnover sword. It has multiple footballs on it now. Uh, let's look at some other stock ups. I had backup playing time. Yeah. 
Obviously, without a doubt. How long has it been since USC's blown out somebody? It'd been a year. It'd been almost two years, actually. I was wondering that during the game. I was like, this is so weird to see actual backups get time. Backups to the backups for some positions. Yeah, and it had been almost two years when USC played at Arizona State a couple years ago. Uh, you know, they got out to real big lead early, and a couple weeks before that, they blown out Oregon State at home as well. This was the first time that backups were getting in the game because USC had blown somebody out in two years. That's it's critical. Play playing time you know guys like Liam Douglas is a project offensive lineman you knew that when you signed him you know he's a guy you're like oh this guy's gonna get bigger he's very nimble we but we need to get a guy like that playing time that's what you got to think as a coaching staff and if you're not blowing anybody out he's never going to get in a game well he gets his first opportunity and I thought he looked pretty good you know for a guy on his he had what five or six plays or whatever but a couple plays getting to the next level and getting a block and I said Hmm, that's a guy to keep an eye on as as his career continues to develop. Guys like Frank Martin have not seen the field ever. You know, he's been here for three years, I think, maybe four years now. This may be his fourth year off the top of my head, but you know, to see those guys get out there and get some opportunities is always a good thing um, because it gives them that experience. You learn about game speed, and hey, you're going to take some bumps and bruises. You look at the secondary. You know, there was a complete bust. It wasn't just on Jaden Williams. He didn't make a great tackle attempt on the long touchdown, but it wasn't his man. There was a complete bust. I, I think it was on C.J. Pollard. Not exactly sure, depending on the call on there. But that guy was left wide open, and those things happen. And those are teaching moments. Yeah. When you're up 34 to nothing, you can have a teaching moment with guys. When you're in a close game, you can't, which is why those guys never see the field. And now what do you learn from that teaching moment? That's the important thing. Do those guys learn and take that uh, that extra opportunity? Because some of those guys on defense, I mean, you look at Juliana Falanico as a guy that hasn't had many opportunities. He got 23 snaps in the fourth quarter. Oh, you know, yeah. Raylan Goforth getting 23 snaps in the fourth quarter at the middle linebacker spot. And he's a guy that you look at and say, you've identified in fall camp. of That's a guy we think is going to be a player going going forward in the future he got 30 total snaps in this game that also means that you get 30 snaps of rest for john houston jr in mm-hmm. the middle of a season yeah when john houston jr has basically not come off the field all year uh so i think that it's crucial to get those type of opportunities when you can blow a team out and now usc it took them a while it took them a while before they started to blow a team out you know it's still 20 nothing late in the third quarter before they finally turned things on and opened it up um and 20 nothing is nothing you know, a couple of big plays and suddenly it's 2014. So yeah. uh, you, you can't really take all your starters out then. So I thought it was critical, though, for them to get some backup playing time in. And that, that was definitely on stock up. And since I just mentioned him, John Houston Jr. was also on my stock up. I thought he was flying all over the place. He had a much better game than the Notre Dame game. You know, I think he bounced back really well from that Notre Dame game. I think so, too. To your point about critical backup reps, no doubt about how valuable it is to get a feel for game speed, but it's also a morale boost for those guys who are waiting, Definitely. who you put in the same work as the other guys, the guys who are starting, but you never do anything with it. So to actually get some time and be like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm, I'm here at this university. It's it's such a morale boost in that sense. And that's something that some former players that have transferred have told me previously, too, is that it's hard to build your confidence when you never have an opportunity. Yeah. Well, hey, going in and you get 30 plays in the in the fourth quarter, you know, a guy like Manano uh, Tufono, I think he had three tackles in this game. 
you know, we didn't expect to see him on the field ever this season. And, you know, he's getting an opportunity and he makes some tackles. And, hey, that boosts his confidence. Maybe he works a little bit harder in the offseason or he does something a little bit extra because he's got that, that feel. he got that taste. You get that little taste in your mouth like, all right, I want to be back on the field again. I don't want to stand on the sideline. It gets cold at the end of the season on the sideline. I want to I get in the field and be nice and sweaty and warm <laughs> enjoying, enjoying the gameplay instead of being over here wearing a jacket. Um, so I think that, that it's just a great opportunity and, and a great – you know, tease for the players in a yeah. good way, in a good way. That, that Motivational they, bit. Yeah. Motivation. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's easy to have motivation. It's hard to have drive. You know, Ooh. do you have drive to, to push yourself and continue to go? Well, give them something like this gives you that extra motivation to build that drive as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, my final stock up was for Caleb Tremblay and slash Hunter Eccles, but mostly Caleb Tremblay. I thought if you look at some of the sacks that USC got, some of those came with Caleb just putting pressure. He was kind of wreaking havoc where he wasn't the guy necessarily getting the sack, but he was providing that pressure that made a Khalil Tate feel uncomfortable, maybe want to bail a little bit. And he's a guy who I always joke that you can always tell what's a Caleb Tremblay rep Well, when we could see practice. You could always tell what a Caleb Tremblay rep was just because he's always giving effort. Once he's done with his rep, he runs back to the line. Like <laughs> Guys like that I always appreciate because, one, that was kind of the player I was when I played high school sports is you always, you're always running, never walking. So I appreciate that. But also because I think it just shows a drive and a guy who's been waiting. I got, I got to talk to him after the game, and I was like, you were injured mostly in 2018. What does it feel like to be healthy now in 2019 and getting some playing time? And he just, big smile. He was like, it's so nice to be healthy. It's so nice to get some time to play. So uh, stock up for him. He looks like he's going to be the starter come Friday. Yeah, he played a career-high 33 snaps. Uh, Hunter Eccles as well that you mentioned. He played 51. I had Hunter Eccles on stock up because mm-hmm. of the way he was used in this game, which is kind of interesting. They He played the first couple snaps, and he was out for you know uh, almost a full drive, the rest of the first drive and a little bit of the second one. And then he played basically the next two and a half quarters straight. He didn't come out of the game. So it was just kind of weird how they were using him there. But the fact that he's the guy they went to, you know, they wanted more speed off the edges. And I think they got that with Hunter Eccles. And uh, Caleb Tremblay did a really nice job. And you're going to see him because of Drake Jackson being out. So I think those two guys will be your bookends. But also watch, they used Caleb Tremblay and Drake Jackson inside some as well. Yeah. And that was to to try to corral Khalil Tate on third and long situations. They brought in some edge rushers as well and just kind of pushed those guys in the interior. And they're big enough that they can take care of if they try to run a draw or something uh, with the running back. So I, I thought it was interesting that they continue to find new ways to move a guy around like Drake Jackson and like Caleb Tremblay, which tells you the confidence the coaching staff has in him. My last stock up is turnovers. 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 Who knew? Who knew that USC was allowed to get those? I, oh, wow. I kind of forgot that, that it was acceptable for USC to get them. You know, you, you don't ever see it. Uh, you're not looking for it anymore. And suddenly three of them happen. Um, so, yes. One oh, of, right. I forgot about Damon. Shout out to Damon Johnson. Yeah, Damon Johnson, who I wanted to talk to after the game, just because long snappers never get talked to. Yep. It's going to be his week. And then I didn't go to practice this week because I was trying to rest wow, up. Wow. So didn't get to talk to Damon Johnson, but shout out to him. You know, congratulations to him. On, uh, you know, it's something you do every single time because a long snapper can't be uh, touched initially. So he, he snaps the ball back on a punt and he takes off. And he, a lot of times, the long snapper is one of the first guys down. He's just waiting. Fair he catch was, is he called. He was right there. Fair catch is called. Just waiting. Oh, you gonna you gonna you gonna, gonna drop it? You gonna drop it? Gonna, but he was there as soon as the ball was dropped on this one and gave USC possession inside. You know the thirty yard line. Kind of sparked the offense a little bit. Oh, they didn't get a first down. They had to kick a field goal. So sure, but put points on the board. They did put points on the board. A little relief. A little tiny relief. Sure. 
Uh, but yeah, you know they got three turnovers. Kanai Malga has the two other ones, causes one of them, and uh, you know Isaiah Polmao causes the interception with a big hit from the backside. Again, like I said, not much communication. Free runners. USC took advantage and wore out the kidneys of both Khalil Tate and Grant Gunnell. Gunnell, you could just see the way he was walking off after a couple of those, and a couple of them, most of them were Isaiah Polmao hits on him right yeah. in the back. Uh, you know, and those hurt a lot. Especially yeah. when you don't see them coming at all. Without a doubt. You could see them get up like, ooh. So. Ooh, that hurts. I'm going to feel that one tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And stock up for finally winning the turnover margin. First time in 17 games. It's crazy. Like I said, who knew that USC was even allowed to? I thought I it was, that might have been an NCAA sanction too. <laughs> no turnovers for you. Alrighty, well, let's move on to stock down. Who you got? Let's start with running back depth, obviously. Yeah. You know, you lose Stephen Carr. You lose Marquis Stepp. You know, they both go down with with injuries. Stephen Carr is, thankfully, is only a hamstring injury because it looked like it could have been a knee injury. Just the way he he just kind of crumpled. He didn't, he, you know, stepped incorrectly. His foot kind of slid. And then the next step, just like he he discombobulated by it. Um, So it looked like it might have been something more serious than what ended up being, the, or at least is what has been announced. And you and I talked to him about it after the game, and you were like, it looked awkward. And he was like, it felt awkward. <laughs> he was just like, but I was surprised because he was like, I'm all good, I'm all good, just a little tweak and like did a little dance to like prove it. And I was just like, okay, whatever works. But He's he's been uh, ruled as doubtful for this week. Yeah, I don't think so. So I doubt he'll be out there unless he makes some miraculous recovery. Uh, but just good to see that he wasn't more seriously injured than he was. Marky yeah. Stepp. Didn't look as bad initially, even though the replays me and you saw, both video and photo, looked really bad. Really bad. The way his ankle went the wrong direction. But then when he got up and he starts jogging, you know, he comes back in for a snap. You're like, okay, maybe it's not, you know. Yeah, but you were like, he's not 100%. No, definitely. But he was still jogging on the sideline in between drives and stuff. That's and the like, adrenaline going. And you're like, okay, you know, it doesn't seem like it's anything serious. Didn't think he would come back in the game or anything. But uh, Even when he was leaving, because he, he had a boot in the coming off the tunnel, and he was in good spirits. So I was like, oh, maybe like a minor ankle sprain, not a torn ligament. Yeah, so he's going to be out three to five weeks. Uh, Keely actually broke that news on the Peristyle, which <laughs> make sure you guys are subscribed and mm-hmm. checking out the Peristyle for updates like that. But just the depth there, you know, you go from oh, two weeks ago having three guys and is Marquis Step ever going to get a carry type of thing to, you know, suddenly we're going to shut Vi down and actually have the knee surgery. It's been bothering him for a little bit because if they didn't do that, he could still be playing right now. Yeah. It's, it's something that was just bothering him enough they decided to have it. It's something that's been bothering him for a little while, so he probably could have still been playing on it, still not be as, fect- as effective, not 100%. Uh, but you lose him with the surgery for at least a couple weeks, then you lose – Stephen Carr and Marquis Step. So you go to Quincy Junty, and he's on my stock down because this is your opportunity. Here's your here's your one chance. Fancy, don't let me down. I could see it. He was trying to get that extra couple yards and started winging his arm, and I was like, I could see it. And I was like, Don't do this. This is just gonna happen. I know it's gonna happen, and it happened. And I was like, Quincy, no. And Tony Fields, you know, great play. You know, he's the one that ran down Marquis Step. Now, some people were questioning whether or not he was intentionally diving at his knee or something he he hit him with his helmet in his hip so even if he was intending to he didn't purposely hit him in the knee um so you know tony fields runs that play down from the exact opposite side of the field he was the backside edge rusher coming off that one and chased it down so give him credit for chasing down marquee step but then two plays later he takes out Quincy Junty too from the depth chart, you know, in two different ways. But he takes out two <laughs> running backs, yeah. you know, because he calls the fumble and Quincy gets dropped beneath Keenan Kristen. Um, so, you know, Quincy 
you hate to see that a kid that's a walk on gets his chance finally. Scholarship player was a walk on gets his chance finally to carry the ball in a meaningful situation as much as a USC Arizona blowout can be before you put all the backups in, in late in the game. Uh, so he had a chance, couldn't make the most of it, but. With the injuries, it looks like he'll still be in the rotation this week. He's got a chance to bounce back from it. He's got to bounce back from it because they need him. You know, he's a bigger back compared to you know Keenan Kristen versus Dominic Davis. So you know he's just a stockier guy. So he's going to be their quote unquote power guy. I would assume you know uh, of the three that they have remaining. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how USC. You know when you get to a goal line situation. What are you doing? Are you still trying to throw the ball? Do you are you trying to run power runs? Are you bringing in extra blockers in some form or fashion? Those will be interesting things to see against Colorado. You know, if you have some stuff up your sleeve, you know, oh, we've been waiting to use this, haven't needed to use it, or didn't really like want to use it, but this might be the situation and you break out something new. And to be fair, we saw Quincy break off for some some good runs in fall camp. He he had some some moments from what we saw, um, but who would have known when he was getting some of those reps? Because he, he got a lot of reps in fall camp at some point, right? I remember being like, okay, it looks like Quincy's the number one back when they were trying to give other guys rest. Yeah, because they were resting Vi and resting uh, Stephen Carr, and Marquis Step was kind of dinged up a little bit. So, yeah, he got a bunch of carries. He got a bunch in the spring as well because of, of guys being dinged up. And he showed that he's fully capable, which is why it's kind of like – it's not like he's the last guy on the roster and he comes in and you're like, okay, the charity carry – it's like, okay, this guy might have a chance to you know, surprise some people. And those yeah. are the guys that you kind of root for. Yeah. Uh, and, hey, and not to take anything away from Keenan, but you know, we want to see him in there and see his speed as well. But you, you root for those you know, former walk-on guys, the walk-on guys. You want to see them have an opportunity to, to show their, their stuff in the Cardinal and Gold or whatever uniform that you're rooting for. Uh, so it's fun to watch those type of kids. And he couldn't make the most of it. But he's going to be the guy that's, you know, he's 210 pounds. Dominic Davis ain't nowhere close to that. And Keenan Christen, you just told me, is 180, you know, even though he's listed 185. So, you know, that's the power back now in this look. And that's kind of – now you go back to the typical air raid style running back. You know, you're going to be smaller, you're going to be quicker type. So we'll see if that changes the way they call their plays. That's what I'm kind of curious about this week. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. So I had overall health as Stockdown. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just a body count at this point. If you would have told me that Rector, EA, Drake Jackson, Carr, Step, Talanoa, they're all out, you'd be like, well, that's an automatic L for USC. But I think they can handle it, the whole survive and advance thing I keep talking about. But that's just, that's rough. And and that's not even including Elijah Griffin and Greg Johnson missing last game. True. You know, they're, they're expected to play this, this week. We expect them to. Still never know. You know, a lot of times we expected Isaac Taylor Stewart to play in that Utah game, and suddenly he was out too. So, uh, but Josh Follow has been out. Uh, Andrew he Voorhees. He did return this week, though. Andrew Voorhees has been out. You know, Jordan Yasefa, JT Daniels, Jacob Lichtenstein, Solomon Tuli Alapupu. You know, these guys all would be contributing all on the bench. Not, some of those haven't even played at all this season. Some of them haven't dressed. Kyle Ford, the Clayton Bradley. You're going to some you deep know. cuts, yeah. There, there are a lot of injuries, a lot of bodies that are not participating. Um, so it, when you lose six guys in one game, you didn't mention the McLean brothers because they're, they're not necessarily starters, but Abdul Malik McLean goes down, gets his first career sack, and on the play separates his shoulder. Just unfortunate uh, for him there. And, yeah. then, and then his brother, Munir McLean, probably even, you know, is even worse. Tears his ACL, the opposite knee of the one he tore a couple of years ago. 
you know, great kid. You guys, you and Chris Trevino spent time with him doing yeah. an inside look. Uh, Moo Moo, as as all the other receivers call him. I yeah, believe. I've I've heard it for many years, so I'm, I'm saving that. But yeah, it, <laughs> it it was hard, and I and I saw him, I saw him grab his knee right away, and I was like, ooh, I know what that is. It's it, yeah, it did not look good. Yeah, and when you see someone grab their knee like that, and they've had that past experience, you you just immediately go, oh no. Yeah, they recognize what that means exactly. Yeah, and so. You got six guys go out. That's crazy. It was a multi-cart night, and you keep saying that. I love saying that, but you do. it's you said crazy it so many times. that there was a multi-cart night. It was both on the field. They had multiple people carted out, and then in the tunnel after the game, they had multiple carts take multiple people out. You know, both the McLean brothers were taken out on one cart together. The running backs were taken out on a cart together. When you have four people getting carted out together, that's that's unheard of after a game. And it was at a point where even the fans were like aware of how many injuries were happening because once Steph went down and was slow to get up, there was just a groan in the Coliseum. Everyone was like, not again. Like they just were like, this is ridiculous. And it was. It was just like a when it rains, it pours situation. And that leads me into my next stock down, which is field conditions. I thought that a couple of those injuries can be attributed to the field. You know, it just seemed like guys footing they, their cleats would either get stuck in the ground and then these giant divots would come out. And then, you know, Stephen Carr, he plants, there's a big divot come out, and the next step is when he when he gets injured. Uh, you know, Marquis Step, his foot kind of gets caught in the turf yep. and then he, he gets stuck and gets rolled underneath. Uh, you know, it, it just, Drake and Jackson. Drake Jackson's yeah. the most obvious one. He's just running upfield. And he tries to you know, go around an end, and his foot just completely caves because the, the turf gives way. Keenan Kristen actually rolls his ankle later in the game. Uh, luckily, he rolled it you know, outside to in rather than inside to out. You know, that's what Drake Jackson did. He went the, the wrong way. Sometimes you, know, you can roll your ankle just when you're walking around. You step wrong, and you'd be like, oh, that's hurt. Shouldn't have done that. But you're fine. That yeah. was what Keenan Kristen did. Drake Jackson went the other way, and that's not what you want. And that's yeah. how you get a high ankle sprain. That's how he's going to be out probably a couple weeks uh, with that. But it, the turf was just coming up in chunks. And, you know, I looked back, and I was like, this looks really bad. So let me go back and look. And I went back and looked at the BYU field. Now, maybe BYU has one of the most immaculate fields in the country. I don't know. But I went to the very last play, and there, visibly, you know, it's a kind of a wider shot of Keenan Slovis as he takes the snap. And there's maybe one or two divots that are visible. I looked at one of the plays in the fourth quarter where Nick Figueroa is pulling down Grant Gannell, and there is just chunks coming up on the play, and there's chunks everywhere during the play. So the the field surface itself was just not acceptable. You know, the definite stock down for that. I don't know if they need to get a new turf in there. I don't know what has to change there, but it did not look, it was not acceptable for that many number of players to go down when it looked like the field contributed. Even if the field contributes to one of them, it's it's not acceptable. But to contribute to multiple injuries like that, seemingly, you know, I, I think there is an issue. Now, maybe the, the cleats had to do something to do with it. Maybe there's other factors that go into it. But just to see how torn up it was at the end of the end of the game makes me think that they they could do better. Yeah, and it's been that way for a while, a couple seasons now. But the argument that people, the counterpoint that people have to your what you're saying now is Arizona didn't have injuries like that. So I think part of that is what Taylor and I discussed on the live show is that you look at the guys that US, on USC's team that were injured are guys that are putting a lot of force down. You know, you look at J.J. Taylor, he's 5'7", 160 pounds or whatever it is. He's not creating the same amount of force with each of his steps that Marquis Step is at, you know, 5'11", and 230 pounds. It's just, it, just physics. So then when he hits the ground, it hits the ground in a different way 
than when J.J. Taylor does. And you look at a guy like Stephen Carr and the cuts he makes, it puts a lot more force down on his outside legs. And so those are the type of things that happen. You know, it, it's not that linemen stand in there and they're just slipping around. And some of those did happen. Like Liam Jimmins slipped on a, on a play uh, that ended up being a sack. Those happen. But the force injuries, the, the ones with the knees and ankles, those are a lot of times force. And I think USC has some bigger, stronger players, more physical players. And that's just kind of the offense that they run versus, uh, you know, Arizona's. Arizona linemen are much smaller. So I think that plays into it a lot more than people are giving credit to. Um, and Arizona did have some players go down. There was at least one player with a lower body injury. I don't know if it was just cramps or whatever. I uh, didn't get an update on that one. But, you know, it, it just the way the field was torn up was unacceptable to me. Yeah, I would agree there. Now for my next stock down, I actually singled out Christian Rector from the injuries group just because I think his situation is a little different. Now, it's been a running joke this week because – Last week we had a segment where I had specifically asked you about Christian Rector and how they used him. Then you had some great points, Shotgun, but for time's sake, I cut it out. Mm. Huh. <laughs> and, it, and it proved to be very relevant this week. Thanks a lot. Just cutting I'm all my sorry, good stuff out. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I had asked, and I had asked the, the coaches a lot, not only last week, but the week before, at what point do you shut Christian Rector down? At what point are you not getting enough from Christian Rector and you're just hurting him in the long run? And that's essentially what they, what Chad K talked about this week. They sat down with uh, Christian Rector himself and Clay Helton and said, hey, we're not getting what we want out of you. We should probably just set, shut you down. And what you had talked about in that segment, Shotgun, was that why play Rector if you're coming off the bye week against Notre Dame when you had the rest of your Pac-12 schedule ahead of you in the season? And you suggested why not sit him for Notre Dame and then have him go from there. So it's, it's question marks about that. Uh, and so for him, I had to put stock down. Yeah, if... If you look at the overarching goals, and if you're going to talk about after every game, we still have the Pac-12 in front of us. We still have the Pac-12 in front of us. You lose another day, we still have the Pac-12 in front of us. Then why are you not trying to put yourself in the best situation for the Pac-12? You know, coming off the bye week, maybe his ankle was feeling a little bit better, but how much better would it have felt if you gave him two weeks? Because we've seen that in that Notre Dame game and in previous games that he just doesn't have the lateral mobility. He can't turn and run the same. He can't uh, you can't push off of it the same as he was previously. He doesn't have the explosiveness coming off the edge, which is what made him a really good pass rusher last year. He wasn't able to get these sacks, but he was getting a lot of pressures. So why are you trying to take that away when you could have just been more conservative and it makes you look back at a guy like Porter Gustin? You know, why'd you rush him back? Mm-hmm. Well, he told us he was ready. I don't, I don't care if Porter Gustin told you he was ready or not. That's when the adults in the room are supposed to say, you know what, it's probably best that we wait on this. You know, if Christian Rector really wanted to play in that Notre Dame game because he's a senior, it's a rivalry game, he'd been like, Christian, you know what? You know what, bud? As Clay Hilton wants to say, you know what, bud? I would rather you have you play in a Pac-12 championship than for you to play in this rivalry game. And then maybe we'll, you know, a Rose Bowl. Would you rather play in a Rose Bowl in a Pac-12 championship or against Notre Dame? Is this your Clay Hilton impression? Well, that's the best I can do. Okay. Yeah, I gave a bud. That's as far as I can go. Well done. But, yeah, that that's that would be the conversation. Say, we're going to sit you, we're going to try to get you right, uh, you know, and, and give you a little bit more rest because, obviously, the ankle needs rest because he's not been able to, you know, twist and turn on it. And if it took another week after that, you know, if you wait until after Arizona. Because look at the scenarios. You either have a healthy Christian Rector heading into Oregon or you are still sitting him at this point in the season. Yeah. It's, which is better? Obviously, the Oregon option. 
yeah. So you know, I, in hindsight, twenty twenty always, especially with the injuries and you know bringing back guys. But I at the time, I just thought it just didn't make much sense to rush him back to see that he was pretty much the same player. I want to see some vast improvement because I know what you can be versus what you have shown in a couple of the games, just as far as the lateral mobility and be able to explode off the ball. So that's what I would have said. Okay, I got to see it in practice. Okay, you're ready to go. Okay, we're going to wait. We're going to give it a little bit longer. Thanks for trying. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. Thanks for trying. We're going to sit you back down. Let's let's get you back on the rehab plan. Uh, but they didn't. So, yeah, I think it's on stock down that he's having to sit out, You know, and he's probably going to be out this week, I would guess, too. Yeah. Try to get him ready for that Oregon game. Uh, but we'll see where he's at, you know, after, you know, when he does actually get two weeks off if he doesn't play this weekend versus, uh, you know, getting the one week off for the bye week previously. Yep. Stock down, I got the slow offensive start. I mean, four straight yeah. three and outs. You had six three and outs in the in the game. You actually had seven drives of three plays or less. One of them did have a 55-yard touchdown, so that one's okay. <laughs> uh, but you had two other drives that were five plays long. Just there was no offensive flow. You know, they, you know, they talked about tempo. I've got it on my stock down, too. We're gonna, we want to run tempo. And, you know, you asked Graham Harrell the same thing after the game. And what was his answer? Well, when you go three and out, you can't really get a tempo. That's my <laughs> Graham Harrell impression. <laughs> and that's true. When you go three and out, there's no way you can get any tempo because it's all about getting the first downs and continuing to push. And they just they – just, it took them way too long to figure out that Arizona 3-3-5. You know, I don't know if it how surprised they were by it. You know, the Arizona's ran that in the past. I don't know if they've given a bunch of different looks this season, but they should have been able to manhandle the front of Arizona and take care of two linebackers. It was Tony Fields and Colin Schooler that were basically doing all the damage on USC. They were knifing under some blocks. You know, they're going around some other ones. If you block those two guys and and ninety up front, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was doing a really good job for Arizona as well. But it was. It seemed like it was three guys that were doing all the damage for them, and USC just didn't have an answer for them in the first quarter. Now, eventually, they figured it out, and they started moving the ball a little bit better, but it was still inconsistent. It would be a three-and-out touchdown drive, three-and-out you know, lengthy drive, you know, that, that type of thing. It was disconcerting to, to see that the offense that you expect to put up a bunch of points, and hey, you scored 41 still, but it, it just was a very choppy 41 points it was sloppy at times you know there was just blocks not being made when there could have been you know when when the offense looked like it could you saw a 55 yard untouched touchdown run. you saw a 30 yard untouched touchdown run but other times you saw guys getting hit in the backfield and you're just like why why is that guy not getting blocked those type things it was a very inconsistent offensive effort and they would have cleaned that up you know going to Colorado again if they want to try to win a road game you need some consistency on offense and especially if you want to try to beat a team like Oregon who's playing really well right now. Yeah. And it was disconcerting given the fact that we all thought that Keenan had made a good step forward against Notre Dame. So you would expect that for the next game to kind of build on that, especially given Arizona's defense. But talking to Graham Harrell after the game, he was a little puzzled by what he saw from Keenan Slovis. He was like, I thought this was the most hesitant he's played all season long. And Keenan Slovis kind of put the inconsistency on his shoulders as far as the offense goes. So it was interesting to hear that from him. And in that sense, I had stocked down for Keenan's next play ability. Because I mentioned after Notre Dame, Graham Harrell had kind of left breadcrumbs about why tempo was important and why they think they should do it. And now we're getting more of those breadcrumbs and it kind of points to Keaton. And both of them talked about this week of Keaton kind of gets in his head if he doesn't make the right play or if he doesn't make the right read. And he said, you know, I don't want to make excuses for myself, but that was my third start. 
and I'm still trying to get a hang of all of this. And sometimes I just get too much in my head and, and I need to go on to the next play and I need to not think about it too much. And so I think when they talk about tempo, when they talk about getting a rhythm, I think it's Keaton moving fast so he doesn't have time to think about that play. He's already on to the next one. So I think that's interesting just thinking about how you handle a freshman quarterback having those freshman type of issues. Because I asked like, well, why do you think Keaton was so hesitant. He was like, he did the classic Graham Harrell shrug of like, well, you know, he's a freshman. Those things will happen. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get that. But still, uh, but it was interesting. And that's something that I think they're trying to combat this week. Something that Arizona did and watch something to watch for that Colorado did is they weren't attacking full bore up the, uh, you know, on their pass rush. So the, the defensive tackles in front stayed in front to make sure to give him, you know, give him no lane to run out of. You know, a couple times he tried to step up and try to escape up forward, which is what he did against Notre Dame. You know, he was able to escape towards the, the middle of the field and then roll to the right or uh, escape to the right a little bit. They didn't give him those lanes to get out of the pocket and then look downfield. You know, you saw a couple times he tried to step up in the pocket and then he was like, oh, crap, and try to run backwards, and those were the two times he got sacked. You know, I think that's something Colorado will, will pick up on and say, okay, let's try to make sure he stays in the pocket. Let's pressure him but keep him in the pocket at the same time. You know, he's not a he's not a running threat. You don't see him as a Michael Vick out there. But what he wants to do is, and what he's done well at in his, in his couple of games when, he, when he's really excelled, has been get outside the pocket, keep his eyes downfield, and then make some throws or go pick up four or five yards with his legs and slide down. So, you know, I, I think that that's something that, that Arizona made an adjustment to what he did against Notre Dame. And I think Colorado will do try to do the same thing. How does he learn from it? Can you not, you know, don't freak out. You know, you see the pressure coming topside. You know, if, if your tackles are pushing them really wide, okay. You know that they're behind you. You know that there's a, a clock that has to go off in your head to when to throw it. But you don't have to take off running up the middle. You just got to step up, still keep your eyes downfield, make the throw. Yeah, that's a good observation by you there. Well, now let's move on to Heard It on the sideline. Mr. Gunn, what do you have? You know, I, I, one of them was Maneer McClain when he went down to see the whole wide receiver core of USC go over there. You know, a couple guys taking knees to, to prayer for uh, to go into prayer for him. And, you know, for them to just – it shows you the care that that group has together. And it's becoming a smaller and smaller group, um, you know, with the injuries that they've had and with, you know, a couple of transfers and stuff. So, you know, to see them go over there, I thought that was really interesting to, to show that they went all the way across the field. They're not worrying about the next play. Now, granted, it's – uh, you know the last seconds of a blowout basically but um, I, I thought it said a lot about his character that all his position mates would go over there uh, and join him and, and you know be praying for him over there on the sideline as well yeah I had Manier on my heard it as well just because I almost feel a little bit invested in his process because Chris and I kind of spent a year off and on documenting his rehab process, him coming back from tearing his ACL meniscus. And so like we went to rehab sessions with him. We saw, we talked to his coaches about that whole process and how he's feeling better now that he's healthy. And just when he grabbed his knee, I was like, not again for this kid who just got over this. And so I had kind of talked to him after the game and, and I was like, you're done right and he kind of he put his head down and kind of nodded at me like yeah it's it's done like he he knew he knew it was a torn ACL but then he gave me the company line of like well I get my MRI tomorrow but I was like hey we both know what we're talking about here but you gotta hurt for that family just because it's hard to see two guys go down in one game and and I also had Abdul Malik McLean on my hurt it because I could hear him because he was in the tent after he came out of tackling uh Khalil Tate and I could hear him screaming like he was in pain. And I just felt bad because it's not often that you hear a guy screaming from yards away from the, the medical tent. So 
rough rough night for the McLeans. Yeah, he was in tears as he took the cart, uh, you know, up the up the ramp to go get checked out and everything. So it was you know a, a rough night all over for the injuries that USC sustained, uh, and you know that they had to go through Talano Hufunga. Just seeing him, you know, the initial hit and him just sitting there and like just. If there was the thought bubble, if it was a comic book with the thought bubble above his head, you know, you can just imagine what was going through his mind at that time. You know, well, they popped his shoulder back in on the field. Oh, did they? Yeah, realize that. Yeah. So I saw them lay him back down on the ground, and like when you saw him lay back down, you knew that you could tell it was a shoulder injury. Like that's that's definitely not good. That's gonna be that's gonna be bad news. You know, probably the positive news is that it's not season ending. I thought it was. I thought he was done. Yeah, I thought it was done. Now we don't know. That's our best guess, you know, that dislocated shoulder or separated shoulder. So they expect him to be back, but you will see how it heals and stuff as well. Another thing I heard was after the game, talking to Chad Kay uh, about, you know, how they were dealing with the injuries and stuff. And then we talked about Nick Figueroa, you know, and told me that they moved him out to the defensive end. He hadn't practiced there at all. You know, because he was so far down the depth chart, you know, they were going to use the rush ins and stuff. You got Abdul Malik McClain, you got Drake Jackson, didn't know about Rector status necessarily coming in. So didn't get a ton of reps for Figueroa. And by a ton, I mean any at defensive end because he had just moved out from defensive tackle. And, you know, he goes in there, he gets a sack. He had, you know, another pressure and pulled down the quarterback. So, you know, I thought it was impressive for him. Now, he practiced there in the spring some, so he said that gave him some confidence. But, you know, he's just going to try to show the versatility. I talked to him a little bit as well uh, and try to be used however he can. You know, he said it was fun to be able to get some extra reps, you know, rather than just coming in to give somebody a breather. He got some extended reps and got to show his stuff and, and made the most of it. So my next heard it was actually following up on something that you complained about last week, Shotgun, on this podcast. <laughs> Me? Complain? What? Yeah, no, I talked to Chase Williams one-on-one after the game, and after the interview ended, I was kind of like, hey, by the way, against Notre Dame, you played three snaps at nickel, but, you know, the whole thing about Greg Burns saying that they want to move you just to, to safety, and he was like, <laughs> when I said that, he kind of bashfully smiled and was like, yeah, and I was like, well, what happened there? He was like, you know, we were so used to me being the backup nickel that when Greg came out, I just went in there. Is th- that this was early in the game? This is the first drive of the game, so yeah, Greg just kind of like- got nicked up a little bit. Yeah, so I was like, "Was that a you mistake? Was that a coach mistake?" And he was like, "It was a combo mistake of both of that." So it wasn't actually uh, Greg Burns being wishy washy on what he said. It was just them being so used to Chase being the backup nickel that he just went in. So. That was the follow-up. So maybe take back the sass a little bit, Sean. Okay, I'll take it back a little bit. Retract the sass. So, so Greg Burns was not lying when, when he said it. So I'll, I'll take back my my thoughts on Tell the Truth Monday, at least about Greg Burns yes. to that extent. There you go. Um, one of the things I noticed towards the end of the game, which USC ends up calling a timeout, and people are like, oh, is this him You know, calling a timeout back and forth with someone? Which I liked Arizona's timeouts. Besides the fact that I was on the sideline, I was just like, I just want this game to be over. But as a player, you know, watching if I was on this, I want my coach to be calling timeouts and trying to get us the ball back. And they go on a 97-yard touchdown drive because they called those timeouts. They could have let the clock run out instead, and it would have been a 41-7 to game. Does it matter if it's 41-7 versus 41-14? No. But it may give Grant Gunnell some confidence or one of those players a little bit more confidence going into the next week uh, when they try to play against them. But before that, when USC was punting the ball back on that, and great punt by Ben Griffiths, always ready. He's always ready. Michael Pittman Jr. He has not been in the game for anything in like probably 20 minutes in real time, if not longer. And he realizes USC only has 10 guys on the field on on their punt unit. And he takes off and runs out there. 
Wow. He's not on the punt coverage unit, but he goes out there and he's ready to go. He's got his helmet strapped on. He had his helmet in his hand. He just he counted and saw it and just took off and ran out there. And Clay Helton ends up calling the timeout and pulling him out um, to get, you know, Dominic Davis was the one that was supposed to be out there. Um, but Michael Pittman just being ready at all times and shows the type of player that, you know, that he's constantly, because he's on the, he's on the pump block unit that USC has. And he's, he comes close. He's come close to a couple of pump blocks so far this season. Hasn't got one yet. Uh, but you know, he's a guy that's willing to be on special teams. He's on their field goal block unit right now. You know, you look and you see six and you're like, Oh, that's Isaac Taylor Stewart. Cause all, all the rest of the players are defenders. No, it's, it's Michael Pittman jr. In there, you're starting wide receiver, you're leading receivers, you know, trying to block kicks and stuff for you. He's willing to do whatever you know he needs for USC to win. But see him just standing there on the sideline when everyone else is probably chatting and you know laughing because it's you know it's forty one to yeah. seven. He's like, no, it's ten. I gotta go. See you guys. And he runs in there, and I'm curious to see what that conversation or hear what that conversation was on the sideline. But Michael Pittman's not talking to the media right now, so we can't get that information. But um, you know, I just I just love seeing the kid always being ready, and you know, his attention to detail to know that there were ten players and that he was paying attention even when he's been removed from the game at, at the wide receiver position and all his other special teams roles. Yeah, those type of things really tell a lot about a player and and their mental state and how plugged in they are. One of my credits is from this week in practice. And on Monday, well, then I definitely didn't hear. It. I know Clay Hilton was a little spicy during a. You know how so they so they warm, got the spice. The spice. Eh? They warm up, music goes off, then they come in for a huddle, and then they do their little Trojans T R O U J N S. That's how you spell Trojans. And then they, you can spell <laughs> they break it down. And Clay Helton was a little like fired up, and he said, "Remember, <laughs> like this is my Clay Helton. You know how he's like. Rah! That's how he is when he yells." And he basically said, remember, you kicked their ass last week. And he said, you kicked their ass because of how you practice on this field. So do it again. And so I was like, ooh, a little spice. Okay. So it fired up the team. So I thought I would add it and heard on the sideline. Good to hear. A little, little spice is never a bad thing. A little, little swearing, too. You know, it's good good to get, you know, to build, try to build off of a big win. You know, you get a blowout. Everyone gets to participate. So everyone feels like they've done something. Now can you build on it? That, that's a big question. I think that's what Clay Helton's trying to drive at, and that's what you try to drive at as a coach. My last heard it is actually was heard it on campus, you know. It was a former USC player uh, that I ran into on campus oh. on, on my walk through um, from the, the parking uh, garage. But I ran into Wyatt Schmidt, you know, former long snapper slash holder slash emergency kicker slash emergency punter, just every special teams thing you can want uh, from Wyatt Schmidt and ran into him. And it was, it was fun talking to him and just catching up really quickly. But he was, it was his first time really being on campus during a, you know, during a tailgating and pregame session and stuff. And he was just like, man, this is so crazy. This is so different. And, and, you know, he was with some other specialists and they all had walkie talkies to keep in touch with each other. And like a couple of them, I think had gone to the nine Oh or something. Uh, and he was like the, he was the, the headmaster corralling everybody and making sure everyone was, was, uh, staying in check and everything. But it was fun talking to him. And he was like, it would be nice if the players could kind of experience this, you know, you, you bring the recruits down for the tailgating and stuff. And that's not something necessarily that's done, but I, I think it would be a really interesting thing Obviously, this can't happen. This was an idea I threw out to him, but I, this this would never happen. But I was like, wouldn't it be nice if like every player got one game off just to go experience it as a student? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's true. Just like to to be able to go to the row and go to you know walk through campus and stuff and you know experience the true college experience because 
if the media members, you know, if if when you were in college or whatever, you know, you you can take a game off and just experience it as a student if you want. Once I had the chance to be on the sideline, I never wanted to leave. Everyone was like, "It's your senior year, go back." And I was like, "I will be hating that because then everyone's gonna go in the tunnel and do interviews, and I'm gonna be like, please let me in, please.' <laughs> like I just didn't care. Like, yeah, it's a fun experience, but I love it so much more to be on the field and do all the good stuff. But did you get to experience it as a student? I did. Okay, they don't ever get to experience it as a student. No, I know. So I, know. I think I think if it, if if you could somehow make it work, you know, where they could. You know, have one game where they just experience it. You know, if they're 21, they get to drink and, and enjoy the festivities before the game, the danger dog on the way to the stadium, all this, all that good stuff. Sure, but they get to party after the game, so they get some college. True, experience. but it's not this. It's not quite the same. I just think it would be unique to for them to be able to even like I, I, maybe it'd be really cool if one time instead of going because one of the things that Wyatt said is, hey, we go straight from the hotel to the stadium. Like, what if, what if you take the buses and you drive them through the row? So at least they get to see what's going on and drop them off on the north side of campus and let them walk through. I know it's like li- Notre Dame style where you're walking through. I don't, I've never seen Notre Dame's full walkthrough. Really? It's pretty cool. But yeah, you know, just let them walk through on, on Truesdale, just walk down past Tommy Trojan, kind of like the band does, you know. But just so they can see the fans and I think you know, that would be cool. See all idea. the festivities that are going on. You know, that's what I'm petitioning for next year for the USC team. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to work it out with the ops guys and the head coach. We're gonna we're gonna get this. We're gonna make this happen. Cool. Well, keep us updated. <laughs> I guess my final heard it is a small one, and it's a problem that we've run into this week. Just because now that Keenan Kristen is an active member of the the depth chart, if you will, Keaton and Keenan. <laughs> so hard and graham harrell was like keaton keaton ooh, that's gonna be a problem and like everyone in the media laughed and it was ironic that he said that because earlier that was on monday and on saturday I had i had asked him in my interview what do you take away from keenan's performance and i was talking about Kristen, and i didn't say Kristen, which is my bad and he goes well keaton and i was like oh, okay we're talking about keaton now <laughs> so we went with it but it's it's an interesting little uh, hiccup now with the two names. I think I go Slovis and Keenan. Yeah, I think so. Kristen still just sounds, it sounds like, weird. It's like it could be Christian, yeah. too. So if you just go Slovis, there's no misinterpretation there. Sure. I think that's, yeah. That's what do you think about your quarterback? What do you think about your running back who's really, really, really fast? <laughs> sure, that works too. All right, let's go to agree, disagree. First up, Kanai Mauga should be USC's starting Will Backer, even when EA is healthy. Nah, bro. Nah. I, I, I love me. Is that so, your Hawaiian answer? <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that, but no. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, EA is a, is a unique talent. Uh, yeah, he's still got some stuff to, to, to learn. He's got to still make some improvements in his game, but he's going to be a, a star uh, eventually as long as they keep working with him. He keeps progressing in his game. And Kanai can be a great player too. Uh, but Kanai also, you know, a lot of the same things that EA has, has said – struggles with missed tackles and stuff can i miss some tackles the other night as well you know he's not immune to it um i I think the ea just gives you you know a little bit more athleticism in that position i like both of them because they hit they like to hit they do and they bring some thump with them and and that you know changes things and if you hit people and you put your hands in the right place when you hit them you knock the ball free and then john houston can pick it up and scoop and I thought John Houston might scoop it up and then have a chance to run for a second, and then there was a lineman there just to he take. He was it. met. It was like, boom to yeah. the ground. He, which is a hit he'll he'll gladly accept because that means that you 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 recovered a fumble still. But you know, I, when I initially saw it, because I, I was shooting photos of Kanai and I saw the ball pop free, and I was like, oh, he's going to pick that up. Maybe it's a scoop and score. 
And then I turned and there was a lineman immediately hitting him. I was like, nope, that's not a scoop and score. You can see in my highlights, I kind of go, I like preemptively moved to see where John Houston's going to go. And then I had to snap back because he just gets <laughs> met by a line lineman pretty fast. Um, but see, because Dan Weber's in the camp that even if EA is healthy, you got to find a way to play Kanai as well. Are you not in that camp? What, now that's a different question. So it becomes then, do you go with the 4-3 the look that they've done with Kanai on the end of the line and kind of backed up at times and take out a nickel back? Now that's something you could hypothetically do, especially with the injuries you've had in the, in the secondary. That might be a, a possibility, but it just depends on the matchups you have coming up. And a lot of the teams that are, that are coming up are spread teams, so which doesn't really fit Kanai's you know, uh, you know, skill set as well. Uh, but you know, he did really well in this Arizona game, and you know, hopefully he builds on it. Without a doubt. Let's move on to the next one. We will see four complete quarters from USC's offense against Colorado. Now, Arizona had the 127th ranked passing defense. Colorado has the 129th out of 130. So, And, and USC passed for, what, 247 yards, which is meh. Meh. Definitely meh. So, and now USC did some things that were nice and they attacked, you know, they did some drop eight coverage and stuff and USC was able to attack those and, and find some holes that they had struggled with previously. But, you know, I think that, that they just got to do a better job. I think Colorado, the fact that they don't tackle very well will help out because you can throw some of those receiver screens. You know, they really try to attack with those receiver screens in this game. They weren't getting the great blocks on the outside uh, from the receivers at some points. Um, so, you know, I think that they will be able to throw some things like that and pick up chunk yardage on them, and it'll make the passing game look a lot better. So, the the question though is, will they put four quarters together? And I'm just I'm going to go with no, just because they haven't done it yet. Until you prove to me that you can, I'm not going to agree with it. And maybe it's because if they do have three really good quarters, then you're going to have all backups in at the end. Maybe okay. maybe finding that, a way out. Okay. Maybe that's the reason why they don't. I don't know for sure, but until you put four quarters together. I mean, the Stanford game is the only thing that's come close. True. Now, the next agree-disagree involves a phrase that you've kind of made iconic on this podcast, or at least you did last year. Uh, <laughs> and I'm surprised it hasn't come up yet on this podcast. But uh, LaVisca Chenault. <laughs> that's a name, right? <laughs> that's a name, but it's a phrase. <laughs> you, you, you have a we'll, – we'll, I'll just let you say it. <laughs> so on to the statement. LaVisca Chenault is not a threat in this year's matchup. Incredibly disagree. LaVisca Chenault. He's a beast if they use him right. And they haven't been using him right. They haven't been using him in a lot of different ways. He also hasn't been healthy. It helps if he's healthy. Uh, but, you know, just looking at his stats compared to last year, they're just it's such a big discrepancy. Last year he had five games over 100 yards. He had one over 200, I believe. This year he's got one so far. You know, he's only had 70 yards receiving once in the other games, and that was exactly 70 yards. He's at 23, 31, 48, 46. Like, he's he's on mock draft boards as a first-round pick. You know, that's a guy that you have to find a way to get the ball, and maybe that's why they're struggling because you're not getting a guy like that the ball enough. And they got some other weapons like Katie Nixon, and, and you know, Steven Montez has to play better than he has the last couple weeks, which would help a wide receiver. But LaVisca Chenault is a beast. So let him be a beast. And, yes, he is definitely a threat. Because you saw last week they used him in the run game. He was able to get a touchdown there. If they find some ways to use him, he's the guy you got to keep your eye on at all times. I'm just happy that we heard the return of the phrase. <laughs> so good. Well done. And that's, that's, that's the Venom voice for anybody who's wondering. Because last year 
when this game was going on, the Venom movie was about to come out, and I was like, "He's a perfect. That's a perfect name for a guy to to play Venom." Yeah, we actually went back and listened to that. I had no idea what you're talking about. Now I get it. It, it seems like <laughs> a Venom name. Sure, I'll I'll go for it. Now we go to our final agree disagree. Ralphie is the best mascot in college football. I mean, best live mascot. Yeah. 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 I mean, the tiger Mike the Tiger at LSU is. I mean, you have a tiger. That's impressive too. What about Bebo Araga? No, which was. Be- wasn't it Bevo and Ugga try to go at each other last oh, year? Oh, true. Feisty ones. <laughs> you know, I love Ugga, you know, being from Georgia, and Bulldogs are you know, just adorable little creatures, adorable little ugly creatures. Um, That's what we say about you. Wow. <laughs> wow. She killed me with that one. But the Ralphie run is what makes it so special. If Bevo was doing a run or something like that, and you see a large steer coming flying across the field in time. I would be very scared. Yeah. When Ralphie runs, everyone takes notice. You know, that is a lot. You know, the first time you see a bison, because they're bison, they're not actually buffalo, in case no one knows this. There's no buffalo in America. They're bison. Just letting you know. The more you know. The first time you see a bison, like if you go to Yellowstone or you go or you're driving through the Badlands in North Dakota, you're just like, oh, and it goes by your car. You like drive by and you're like, oh my God, that's so big. They're so huge. They're so huge when you come up beside one of them. So, yeah. So, you agree? I agree. Yeah. Live mascot, yes. And you get to see him this week for the first time. First time. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Partly the only reason I'm going. (laughs) Should be fun. Indeed. Alrighty, let's move into questions. First one is from our buddy Steve in Poway. He says, Dear Keely and Shotgun, I had noticed this earlier in the season, but now it seems more apparent than ever. It looks to me like the defense, particularly the DBs, are not using proper tackling technique. Rather, they're going for shoulder bumps, where they basically crash into the player with their shoulders, stopping them rather than tackling them, which sets them up for injury because it concentrates a lot of energy in one small location, i.e. their upper arm and shoulder. It looks like both Greg Johnson and Talanoa Hufunga injured themselves doing this. Should they not take lessons from kicker Alex Stadhouse, who actually used proper tackling technique twice last night? Smiley face. Steve and Poway. Never take lessons from a kicker, even if it's kicking lessons, because you're not going to do it as well as them. Uh, But definitely don't take tackling lessons from a kicker. I mean, Alex Stadhouse actually injured himself in the BYU game, I believe, even though John Baxter denied that there was an injury there. But he then later came out, and Michael Brown took over the kickoff duties because he was trying to go down and hit people. Um, So I don't think you want to take lessons there. Do they need to tackle better? Yes. Is there technique you know, is it all about technique? There's there's some technique issues there. Greg Johnson, the one he the injury he had, he's he's being blocked on the play, so he reaches out and tries to make a play across his body. I think that's just an unfortunate situation. You know, you want to ideally get your hat across to the front shoulder and then be able to tackle with your full force instead of you know all that force like you said being on one area. Uh, with the Talanoa one. I don't know exactly what else he could have done there because the, the runner, I think it was J.J. Taylor, was being tackled by someone else. So he was trying to get lower to, underneath J.J. Taylor to be able to take his legs out, which is what you would want in that situation. And then you try to wrap up as when you get to his legs. But J.J. Taylor's so short, and he went down, and he ends up making direct contact with the back of Ufunga's shoulder, actually, which is what was really weird is because it ended up be, he hits him in the back. Um, so uh, that was just kind of, I think that was more of a freak one there. There, there's some times when USC's, you know, DBs have to tackle better. I don't, you know, I think they need to do the rugby style tackling a little bit, you know, more consistently than trying to just, you know, dive at legs and take them out. But that is a common technique for defensive backs of all ages, sizes, shapes, forms, because DBs are typically smaller than, you know, a marquee step. That's why Tony Fields, when he came across, 
He didn't try to wrap his arms around him and rugby tackle him to the ground. No, he tried to hit him in the hip and force him, you know, one, either out of bounds or to the ground. Um, so I, I think that's just a common form of tackling for smaller players. You, and what you can do ideally in a perfect situation versus what you can do when, you know, a guy like Marquis Step is running at you or a speedy guy like J.J. Taylor is trying to change direction, you know, is, is a lot different um, situation. Yeah, I think in general – the tackling technique, though, is bad. Like, it's just, it needs work. And I think that's what happens when you're not going full speed in practice every day. You're going to have to almost warm up in a game to get your tackling right. But I also just, if you're not doing it in practice, you can't nail down the technique properly, which is something that Clay Hilton had talked about, technique and fundamentals. You're just not you're just not seeing that. Yeah, as, as a baseball player and, and pitching, we would do flat ground work, where you're throwing 75 to 80% you know, speed, you're throwing your pitches, you know, it's 60 feet still, but then you get on the mound and suddenly you're trying to throw a change up and you're trying to throw it harder and it, you know, you can't control it the same. Well, that's because it's not the same thing. You can't try to do something at 75, 80% and then, you know, follow the same form and uh, technique when you get to a hundred percent, you know, your body changes, you know, th- things speed up, things slow down, you know, you have to be able to go 100% and know exactly what your body, how your body will react with everything, which is why it's so important to do full speed. It doesn't have to be full speed. Okay. We guys got to have a scout team player and we tackle him, but you need to be running full speed to tackle the dummy. You need to be, you know, it's not just, especially when you're talking about angles, yes, because that's definitely. the thing is where you don't have, you don't have any experience of what angle you should take when this guy's running full speed down the line. Cause they're a lot of the times, even with their quarterbacks, they're going behind them. And so the quarterback just steps up or even on that Jaden Williams one, he takes such a bad angle. The guy just runs past him. It's like, you don't have that experience when you're not going full speed. Yeah. And you see the tackling drills they do where it's okay. You get, you know, one guy's they're lined up across from each other. They both run at an angle, you know, where they meet in the middle and, hey, get around and make sure your head's – well, do that full speed. You don't have to tackle the guy on the ground, but go full speed and have him try to juke or something and see if you can get – you know, you get your hat in the right place. Those are the type of things that we wish we would see more of from USC. Those are the type of tackle drills that it's like – those are the full speed tackle drills that, that you can do. Those aren't injury-causing tackle drills. Yeah. You know, those are full speed learning where your body needs to be, learning where your hat placement is, you know, learning where your arms need to be mm-hmm. as you do it and where your hips need to be so that you can, you know, accelerate through and make the tackle and not just hit someone and not have the 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 power and the force behind it. Yep, without a doubt. Let's move on to an email we got from Gustavo, who says, Hello, Shotgun and Keeley. With USC not having the greatest luck with their running backs, how do you think they're going to handle the carries for this weekend? I'm hoping Dominic Davis gets involved, but he could be the literal last line of offense. Would love to hear your thoughts. Gustavo from Soonerland. I thought last week it would be more 50-50 with Marquis Stepp and, and Stephen Carr. And it was the the plays was similar, but the carries, Marquis Stepp was getting more. You know, Stephen Carr is always a receiving option as well, so that's where you know sometimes he gets more touches that way. But it wasn't exactly 50-50. So it, you know, what I expected last week is a little bit different. This week I would expect it to be kind of 60-30-10, 50 10 Keenan? With Keenan getting the, the bulk of it. You know, maybe 55-35-10, you know, something like that. I, I think that Dominic Davis gets in there for a touch or two, and we'll see what he can do. That's kind of the question, though. How quickly has he picked up what they need from the running back? You know, you can – if he's only going to be in there to run, you know, a set of five plays, you can pick up five plays in a week. It's not that hard. You know, but if you're asking him, 
you know, we need you to block on this and we need you to do this or this or this and we need you to read these certain things, then it's a lot different. You know, how much workload are you giving him? Um, you know, I think he can be a weapon. It, I was going to ask you, do you think he's the most, he's the one that they'd be most comfortable with as a receiving option? Just yes. hands wise? Yes. Yeah. And now, Keenan, I think, has pretty good hands too, you know, and Quincy. You know, none of those guys have just been, none of those guys are Ronald Jones when he first got to USC. Sure. Because Ronald Jones, when we first got to USC, you're just like, don't ever throw this kid the ball. So I, I think all those guys can catch the ball if given the opportunity, especially when it's passes in the flat where it's not, you know, a go up contested grab over somebody on a wheel route or something. Now, if you want to run that wheel route or something like that, then Dominic Davis might be your guy. You know, that's the play he connected on his very first game against Arkansas State was a wheel route that they hit him on the outside for at the like two yard line. So Maybe we'll bring it all full circle, and we'll see a little Will Wright action to to Dominic Davis. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think he's the best receiving option of the three. You know, he's the most experienced. He's caught the ball probably more than them. He's been practicing with the receivers, so yeah. obviously he's getting more touches in practice that way. Alrighty, let's move to our final email, and it's my favorite. It's from Jack from New Jersey who says, so I heard you guys talking about the turnover sword on Family Feud. I also hear you guys talking about offensive chunk plays quite often. How about a chunk chain for an offensive player that gains over 20 yards on a single play? It could be a replica of a chunky candy bar on a chain. What a great idea, Jack. <laughs> I love it. Done. Do no, it. it. Well, one, it would have to be a chunk touchdown because the, the thing with the turnover chain is the defense is off the field. Mm, true. So the offense needs to be off the field. So it had to be, a, a, you know, it had to be, we'll see, I, would, I would put it like 40 yards for and it had to be a touchdown score like it needs to be like rare like you don't want because 20 yard plays i mean i would have to go back and check but usc you know could have eight of those in a game sometimes you're not gonna get that's eight. a lot of chain usage yeah and instead of a chunky candy bar why would you not have chunk from the goonies and just be a big chain with his face on it another week hey you guys Another week, another movie that Keely hasn't seen. Oh my goodness! You haven't seen the Goonies? I'm sorry. Oh, jeez! <laughs> wow. A very verbal face palm. I know that one hurt. <laughs> jeez, I, I can't believe you haven't seen the good. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I like it. Don't knock Jack's idea. I like it. I, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying I'm making some uh, changes to it. Okay, some adjustments, sure. But I do think over, it has to be like 40, 40 yards, 50 yards, something like that. Yeah, I was thinking 40 to 50. I, w- I was debating between there. But yeah. Jack, thank you for the submission. We love that, It's a great idea. Great I li- idea. I like the idea. We got to make, make a couple changes. But also, don't forget, Jack, it's not the turnover sword we're going to talk about. We want turnover traveler. We want a mini pony. Mini pony. We need a mini pony trotting on the sidelines. So if you guys... You know, if you guys see a turnover this week against Colorado, tweet I w- at us, Mini Pony. Yeah, I want, that's what I want. I want a hashtag Family Feud Podcast, hashtag Turnover Traveler. Let's go with some Mini Pony gifts. Let's, yeah, let's make it happen. I want my mentions to be flooded with Mini Pony <laughs> gifts. That's all I want. All I want. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up for this week's podcast. Um, Shotgun, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I'm looking forward to, to Boulder. I mean, my first chance to, to go to the actual city of Boulder and, and checking out Ralphie running around. Ralphie. Hopefully it's not too cold. You know, I don't we like, go freeze. I don't like the cold. We go freeze. Uh, but it should be a fun game. Uh, you know, in USC, as, as long as they worry about themselves first, then they should win this game. I don't think Colorado's a very good team. They've turned the ball over seven times the last two weeks, at least inter- seven interceptions the last couple weeks. So they're, they're really struggling. They're giving up over 30 points a game, or they've allowed 30 points every game. So USC should put 30 on the board easily. 
and they should be able to to put more points up because that secondary, like I said, they don't tackle well. Uh, so take advantage of it. They're playing a lot of young players. Mustafa Johnson came back last week. He was their best defensive, probably their best defensive player, the defensive tackle. He played 17 snaps last week after missing a week. So how healthy is he going forward? And you know, if you can contain Katie Nixon and Lavisca Chenault, I think that you you, you can dominate their offense as well. Um, you know, they they've run the ball pretty well the last couple of weeks, but I think USC can stuff that as well. So we'll see. USC should be able to take care of business in this game. But it's a Friday night. It's right before Halloween. It's going to be cold. And those factors don't usually play in pretty well to, U- True. to USC. True, plus added injuries as well. And a ton of injuries, which also plays in the Halloween uh, you know, theme somehow. Okay, I'll go with it. And, uh, and also it's going to be a blackout for Colorado. I'm sure they're going to be wearing black uniforms too, which I'm going to hate because those do not shoot well at night. But oh. well, USC will be in white and their uniforms will pop for photos. Yeah, USC just needs to go on the road, take care of business, survive in advance, regroup for Oregon. That's that should be the mindset. Yeah, definitely. Because what their goal is right now is Pac-12 championship. So mm-hmm. survive in advance is true, especially with all the injuries they have and you know kind of the things we just talked about. You know the factors that are going against them. Got to get a road win. You know, and it'll give if they do, it should give King Slovis confidence going forward. You know, going into a stretch where you play Oregon, you go on the road to Arizona State and Cal. You know, those are big games as far as their their Pac-12 hopes are. Uh, you know, are settling because I don't see the way Utah's been playing the last couple of weeks. I don't see them losing again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, take care of business. We'll see. We shall see. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks so much for listening and sending us questions and whatnot. We'll be back. Next week, to, to break it all down. LaVisca Chanel. Alrighty, that's Shotgun. I'm <laughs> Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.